Welcome to episode 85 of the Roger Snipes Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Feeling stressed or want to feel more relaxed in a stressful situation? Well, Apollo Nero helps your body recover from stress so you can sleep better, focus and relax when you need it. It's a wearable device which you strap to your wrist like a watch or you can wear it around your ankle. It works by something called touch therapy, sending your body soothing vibrations, speaking to your nervous system, telling you you are in a safe environment. Now, this has been developed by neuroscientists and physicians and it's non-invasive. If you're about to go to a meeting and you're feeling a bit nervous, you can strap on the Nero to prime you for the meeting. If you have finished a training session and you need your body to wind down and recover, the Apollo Nero would come in very handy for that also. I personally let my six-year-old daughter use it just before she goes to school to prime her body for learning and before bed in the evening as she winds down and gets ready for sleep. To get your hands on one of these Apollo Nero devices, just visit Apollo Nero, which is spelled O-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. ApolloNero.com and use code SNIPES10 for 10% off. It's time to get to know a more calmer more mindful you. My first ever paperback book, which is also available on Kindle, Your Mind Builds Your Body, is now available from Amazon. Now this book is an exercise and lifestyle book for anyone who wants a definitive and sustainable plan to transform their body and mindset. It takes you through my childhood upbringing so you can get an insight on where I came from. It also gives you all the methods which I have learned over the accumulative years, which has helped me sustain a healthy, strong, lean physique with the biohacks I recommend for longevity. The building block of the body is not just amino acids, it's the mind. This is my version of a complete guide to unlocking your true potential and working towards greatness. Visit Amazon and search Your Mind Builds Your Body and order today. Hey guys, hope all is blessed and everybody is well. I am cool, can't wait to go out and uh, take in some sun. We finally have sun in the UK. I don't know which part of the world has been hogging up the sun. All we've been having in UK for months is rain and this week has been great. Uh, took my daughter to the park yesterday. We actually um, fed some some ducks and some swans in a lake near my mum's house. We had a little bit of a picnic and uh, yeah, it was brilliant. It was lovely, you know, just being able to just soak in that vitamin D <laughs> without having to supplement. <laughs> <laughs> just taking that in naturally it was amazing so um looking forward to some more sun today um yeah it's all blessed today's podcast is going to be with a returning guest who goes by the name of 
Sean Wells. I'm sure you possibly remember him. He is known as the ingredientologist. <laughs> um, this guy is an extraordinary guy. I love his work. Um, he's renowned in many places uh, around the globe. He's a biochemist, uh, a dietitian, a formulation scientist, and he has uh, come back with a strong book called The Energy Formula. And as I'm sure you could imagine, it is about energy. <laughs> you know, we all know that energy is one of the key fundamentals to live, uh, whether it be physical or vibrational energy. Um, but what we need to know is how to manage it effectively. Sean Wells has comprised his own formula in six ingredients which he has condensed into an acronym. A first letter from energy being experiment, trying different things to learn what works. Um, we can't stick to someone else's template to get personal results. The next is nutrition. So food is information. What information are we ingesting and digesting? And how are we eating too? It's not just about what we eat, it's how we eat. The next is exercise. Our bodies are designed for movement. Let's understand the benefits of when we exercise biologically. The next is routine. Now I'm a big fan of routine but healthy ones. Learning about from when we wake up to when we prep for sleep, which is very important, very important. What are good habits to install? The next is G for growth. If you're not growing, then you are declining. Understanding how people, tools, supplements can help with growth and more. And lastly, which is why your tribe. Now this one is is a big one for Sean as he said in his book that this is one of the key biohacks by identifying and investing in our communities we can find that energy isn't individual. I really like this one, I really do because it wasn't just about getting some real comprehensive information. It was, it felt as though I was really just having a good conversation with a good friend. But um, I hope you take away as much information from this as I did. And also make sure you not only check out Sean's website link and Instagram page and Facebook, but also make sure you get his book. Check out his book, show support, but it's not just a case of support. His book is pretty incredible. You're going to get a lot from it. And when you do, make sure you tag us both. Tag him, tag me, and I will share that you have purchased his book in my IG story once you get it. And um, yeah, give some give some feedback on what you learned from it as well. There is a lot to take in. It is really incredible. Anyways, let's bring on the man himself, Sean Wells.
Hey, Sean, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Great. I'm phenomenal. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And uh, appreciate you being here once again. We had a nice discussion before, but now um, you've released a new book. Yeah, man. Woo! It's out. The energy formula. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> I see you promoting the hell out of it, man. Like, I received a couple of emails and I've seen it on uh, social media again and again. And, oh man, like, it's, it's beautiful to see. People need to know about this book. Um, and I was about to go into it just before we started recording. Um, just, just hearing your journey, it's, um, it's kind of my favorite part, to be honest. It ties everything all together. You know, like all the information which you provide in there, how people can, I guess, uh, get more energy and optimize their life and that sort of thing. But it's when, when you're reading about the person, the person's personal journey, that can't be duplicated anywhere else. It's not, it's not like where someone else could be like, yeah, yeah, I've got similar ingredients here and there. This, this is your personal journey. And um, it was like, wow. Loved it, man. Loved it. Oh, thank you. That means so much. Um, yeah, like I, I definitely went in and and tried to, you know, keep science in there. Obviously, I'm a scientist. The book has to be scientific. There has to be reasons for some of the things that I'm suggesting or saying. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted it to be readable. I wanted it to be something that in, that was enjoyable that you could start and finish. So. Yeah. It's teaching you things along the way, but it's also giving my story on how I've learned these things, how I struggled in my life and how I stumbled into these things as a way to save my life. So, uh, yeah, it was fun putting in my stories and it was actually really fun doing the audible for it and just you know, <laughs> talking through these stories that I've never talked about before. Wow. Wow. I particularly like just, just how you'd spoken about, I don't know, it, it was, it was like, you was talking about, um, you, you didn't feel good about yourself, obviously. And, and, um, people calling you names and even things like perhaps getting on a bus and people saying fat ass, or I'm going to use the language fat fuck. Mm -hmm. Um, and even teachers getting involved as well, like, or, Maybe not saying the words exactly, but, you know, in an indirect way of insulting yeah. you. That's got to be, yeah. that's horrible. I mean, dealing with kids as it is, kids are nasty. But if the teachers are going to be there as well, that's like, that's insane. Like, Yeah, I, I had a, a French teacher that, that bullied me quite often in seventh grade. And, uh, you know, at that time, I didn't know about the definition of bullying and I didn't know that a teacher couldn't do or say that like it just but over time it definitely took its toll that like an adult is saying this too along with the kids around me and uh it was soul crushing yeah I could imagine it would feel like well if the teacher's saying it as well then well it must be true this is a, an authority figure this is confirmation yeah. And I, and I felt horrible about who I was and my identity was just the fat fuck. It wasn't, you know, Sean, the 
intelligent guy, the creative guy, like, and so what do you do with that? You just eat more, yeah. you know, and, and you've, and you go internal and I know what it's like to, to struggle and hurt like that. And it led to severe depression and even suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. But look at you today, inspiring <laughs> the world. Wow. Resilient as ever. Oh, you know, we all still go through our little things that, you know, challenge us, but like your book alone is going to make so many people bypass a lot of the struggles which you'd gone through because they don't need to. Like you're giving them the recipe to skip past that. So I commend you for that. That's um, exactly, that was exactly my mission in this is that, you know, a lot of, it, it didn't stop after high school. I mean, it, it, it basically was something I turned a corner on right as I was writing this book, as I started working in plant medicine, which we've talked about, is that that's when I finally started loving myself. Almost all these biohacks that are in the book were ways of keeping me alive with what I was doing to my body, the ways I was pushing. You know, at some point I stopped eating as much and then I became anorexic. I went from 300 pounds to 150 pounds. And then, you know, and I was seeing all the ribs and I was weighing myself after I peed. And then, then I went to orthorexic where I was working out four hours a day. Like I have to get my protein immediately or I'm going catabolic and, you know, having the six to eight meals and all the supplements and and I was just obsessed then too. And it was never good enough then as well. Like I had just severe body dysmorphia, no matter where I was at. And I had disordered eating no matter where I was at. And I struggled. I struggled to love myself. I struggled to ever get a date. Uh, mm. I mean, I was never super confident. I mean, it took me so long to work through all this stuff. And then I got the Epstein-Barr virus, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's. I ended up getting a brain tumor. I had two discs replaced in my neck. I had bilateral knee surgery, hip surgery. Um, I had nerves burned down in my back. Like I was just struggling across the board physically because what I was doing to my body. I was working 80 plus hours a week. I was hating my body because it had fat on it. And I felt like my body was betraying me by either being tired, by having autoimmune issues, by being fatter than I wanted. Hmm. And I was just humiliating myself and attacking my body. And somehow I was able to survive through all that because of all these biohacks. It was just a yeah. means for me to work 80 hours a week and not die. <laughs> I remember you'd mentioned about you. I know you put a couple of names in the book. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, did you speak to these people first? Um, I don't know whether you'd need to, but you'd mentioned a couple of names, good looking studs. And, you know, they would easily get girls and you wasn't the guy who was picked. Um, is that something that where you'd need to speak to individuals or you just thought, F it, I'm going to put their name in it. It's not, I'm not speaking bad, bad of them. I'm sure they'll be. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah. I put their names in there. I didn't speak bad of them. I mean, they, yeah. they were, you know, the brilliant and, and beautiful ones. And, <laughs> you know, there, there was, um, my friend, uh, Ryan Thomas was, was, uh, the, the class, 
uh, salutatorian and, <clears throat> and captain of all these sports and, you know, six foot four and good looking and all of this kind of stuff. And then, you know, there was guys like Glenn Hoff that I mentioned that he was like captain of every single sport. He was just the natural athlete, you know, had the beautiful girl, like, and it's just, you know, I always felt like I was on the, you know, no, and no one's life is perfect, you know, by any means. I, that's something I've learned along the way. But I remember at the time in high school, just also worshiping them, but also hating them. Yeah. You know, like there, there was a little bit of that, like, why can't I be like that? Why couldn't I have been born like that? Why don't I have that? And of course, like I said, everyone has their own journey. They have their own struggles. I wasn't seeing it, but you know, for me, it just, it was one of those sources of pain to see these people like seemingly have everything. And I was just on the outside looking in, getting humiliated, getting laughed at, being the butt of jokes. Uh, it was painful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it is pretty much like that a lot of the time. Sometimes after school, you sit down and you speak to a few friends and you tell them about things that you'd gone through and then you hear stories about what they'd gone through and you're like, oh, damn, really? I thought you was living the high life. Everything mm -hmm. looked great. I'm sorry to hear it. And you almost feel bad <laughs> of previous thoughts that you had. Let me just try and erase that or edit that. Um, it's almost like looking at uh, people's social media. Um, it's funny when people say to me, wow, you never take a bad pick. I'm like, I do. I take lots. You just never see it. If you used to look at my, if my phone was to be hacked and those pictures were to be leaked and they'd be like, oh my God, these pics are shit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving along, let's, let's go, let's go to the book. So it's called the energy formula. Yeah. And, uh, so energy itself, you've given it an acronym. Uh, could you break down the meaning of energy formula or um, what you call the, the six ingredients um, of the energy formula? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, energy, like you said, acronym experiment. So I get into biohacking, um, what that is, bioindividuality, how stuff is different for you than everyone else, how to do the blood work, how to do the genetic testing, how to get metrics what that looks like, how to understand what's a good supplement, what's not a good supplement. So experiment is that chapter, the E. Then I get into nutrition, the N, and then I cover uh, keto, paleo, Mediterranean, vegan, carnivore, all of those things. What might work for you, what the science is on each, what I do, but I don't recommend that everyone else do. Again, bio-individuality. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you what I do and why I do it, but I also present everything else up so that you can choose what's best for you. Then I go into uh, exercise. I talk about high intensity interval training versus low intensity steady state, where the data is on that exercise hacks like intraset stretching, which is also called blood flow restriction. Uh, uh, sorry, um, sorry, blood flow restriction, which is also called katsu, and then intraset stretching is a is a different technique. Um, and then I get into um, uh, the next one is routines. So that's the R. And then I get into morning and nighttime routines, uh, knowing that nearly all successful people have some kind of dialed morning routine. 
that's so that you can own your day versus your day owning you. Then we get into uh, sleep habits, how to prepare your, your bedroom, how to make a sleep fortress, uh, what that looks like. And going into the G growth, uh, I get into nootropics, growth mindset, like stoicism, um, and then uh, fasting and what that can do for your brain health. And then lastly, I get into your tribe for the why. And that's all about community, connection, finding your purpose, building mentors around you, uh, and how critical all of that is. It's actually the most important factor in longevity is that last chapter. So, tribe, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, yeah. And then there's, you know, putting it all together. And, and yeah, there's a, there's a hard cover out that's about 400 pages um, it has surveys in it, chapter summaries, over 60 diagrams, uh, quote boxes, uh, all the citations, um, these formulators corners that goes through all the supplements in each chapter that I recommend, uh, resource hacks that goes into apps and devices, and I list all the brands and all the things. And so, and this book is full color front to back. And so there's a hardcover, there's an ebook, and then there's an audible that I read myself. And yeah, this book has just been crushing it. It's been on USA Today and Forbes. It's been a bestseller in a ton of categories on Amazon. So I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty excited that it's out there in the world. So you should be, man. So you should be. Is that, is that your first book? Yeah. Major congrats. Major congrats. So out of all of that, I... Let me just start on, you mentioned about your tribe. That's a really interesting one because um, there are some people who are very, mm, very much into that kind of thing, very much into being around others. But there are some people who are very happy feeling good by themselves. They don't really want lots of surroundings. I don't know whether it's a, an introvert or what, but some people do very well by themselves. What's your thoughts on that? Who, with people who don't necessarily want others around them so much? Yeah, I get that, but and and I'm I'm not trying to uh, dispel that idea that it's that it's great for some people to explore their inner self. I do think it's important. That's something I get into in the book that we need mindfulness, we need presence, we need an ability to make yourself your own best friend. If anyone talked to you like you talked to you, you wouldn't be their friend. And a lot of our, our self-talk is very negative. Like one of the other factors that's important in successful people, there's two things, that morning routine, and then there's uh, reframing. A lot of times we're negatively reframing. We're not positively reframing. Instead of the inner champion, it's the inner critic. And so we're telling others how to, how to treat us and talk to us by the way we treat and talk to ourselves. And a lot of times we're, we don't even want to listen to ourselves because that voice is so harsh. So we do everything we can to suppress it with, with alcohol, with cell phones, with distractions because we don't want to go inward. We don't want to do the meditation, the prayer, the quiet time, the uh, gratitude journaling, the affirmations, the, you know, and so we don't want to be our own best friend. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts. And I do think that's an important piece of development, but
But I also think like it's important when you're saying to be alone, you're not alone. You are your own best friend. You need to be your own best advocate. Mm -hmm. So I also think friendship with yourself, very important, but also it's important to have the friendship of the people around you. That's so enriching. There's so much data on this that the number one factor in longevity is quality of relationships. Right. And we need that interaction. Every person. And here's the thing. We project out on other people. We project our insecurities. Like if you've read four agreements, like, um, you know, don't take anything personal, you know, that kind of thing. Like we're always projecting, projecting, projecting. Like, I don't know Roger Snipes. I don't know my friend Glenn Hoff or Ryan Thomas that I mentioned before. What I know is what I projected out on them and what I believe to be Ryan Thomas or Glenn Hoff or Roger Snipes. So I'm projecting my version of you based on my experiences. And it's not necessarily fair. But I also project the good things too. Like when I see amazing qualities in you, Roger, that's me. That's me and what I've brought to the table in my life. Typically, when I say all these compliments about you, those are compliments that I think about myself. <laughs> That's quite interesting, right? Yeah. So, I mean, quality of relationships is absolutely <laughs> critical. And that's why you see in these blue zones, you see people living super centenarians past 100 because they have quality of relationships. They sit down. Yes, they're eating Mediterranean food or, you know, Korean food and they have, uh, you know, wine and, and whatever, the, all these things that we've looked into. But they slow down. They don't have the distractions. They take two or three hours to eat a great meal. They're with people they love. And yes, they're eating food, but it's, it's healthy food that they prepared that they shopped for, that they worked on together. And so what you end up with is much better quality of life. And what you also get with this incredible food and wine, it's not just the incredible food and wine when you're consuming it, it's the psychosomatic anchoring. It's the environment that you're in. So when I'm drinking that wine, it's reminding me I am safe. I'm in a loving environment. I'm in a supportive environment. So then every time you have wine, it anchors back to that. Whereas with I us- to, to prove that? I mean, like, yeah, I hear yeah. you and I feel what you're saying. Yeah. Um, is, is there yeah. back there? Yeah, it's, it's psychosomatic anchoring. I mean, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, it's just like when you smell cookies and like you might think of your childhood or, you know, whatever it is, like it can change your emotions. And the more that's reinforced, the more strongly you feel that. So the flip side of this is we could actually be eating quote unquote healthy food in, in here in America or in the UK or, or whatever. Uh, maybe it's you know a salad, let's say, but you're eating it in rush hour traffic. You're eating it while you're watching uh, something with sex and violence. You're eating you know, at the vending machine, you're eating uh, coming out of the convenience store, you're eating while you're stressed and arguing. Like this healthy food becomes unhealthy because the environment that you're in and you're anchoring that. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to be mindful of is how and where you're eating. It can make a huge impact on the health of the food you're having and the way it gets absorbed and how you use those nutrients. 
Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, it's I, I only learned about that probably about a year ago about mindful eating. Mm -hmm. um, I cover that. Huh? Yeah, I cover that in the book. Just yes. enjoying yes. like what you're eating and feeling blessed for what you're eating and slowing mm -hmm. down while you're taking bites and yeah, it totally changes how you use the nutrients. I have to, I have to remind my daughter all the time when she's eating, I'll just say, <laughs> and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, Zara, slow down, slow down. <laughs> That's because she's hungry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like, I hear you, but I'm hungry. <laughs> and she wants to get back to her iPad games or video or something. Or, or TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you quoted from um, the book, was it called? The, Al the Alchemist. Uh, don't give in to your fears because if you do, you won't be able to talk to your heart. I think that was pretty amazing. Um, you, almost, you also mentioned that the biggest biohack is learning to love yourself. And we've been actually talking you know, about loving yourself. Um, and I, I, do, I, do, I do agree with that actually. Um, because, you know, you need to show respect to yourself. But you said that's like the biggest, the biggest, one of probably the biggest biohack is loving yourself amongst everything else. So that's that. Do you, do you stand by that? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the, speaking of anchoring, I mean, the, to me, there's nothing more important. Like I said, I learned all these biohacks as a means of staying alive. But the whole time I hated my body. I felt like my body was betraying me by not keeping up, by not allowing me to work 20 hours a day, by not, uh, you know, being as attractive as it could be and all these things and getting sick all the time. My body was something I hated and I felt like I was at war with my body. So it's no surprise that my body wasn't doing well for me. And then when I was around other people, I would never speak up. I would never speak my truth. I would never set boundaries. I would just go along with it no matter what it was. So my body knew I didn't have its back. I wasn't there for my body. I, like the best form of self-love is setting boundaries. Being what one of my friends calls a boundary bitch and saying like, no, this doesn't feel right. No, I don't want that. No, I'm not going to go to that. Like that's not ideal for me. I mean, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you can also set boundaries and say, this isn't what I want. This isn't what's healthy for me. I am not doing this, whatever that is. You're talking about if other people are requesting you to do stuff that you don't want to do. It, it can be so many things. It can just be not speaking up. Like, okay. you know, your friends want to go out and like, you don't want to go to that bar last time you got sick or you feel traumatized that bartender there is like a jerk and like you just that's not healthy for you but you go anyway like you know you you're in a car and like you got to pee but you know it's 45 minutes and you just don't want to speak up because you don't want to be a burden like you know it's things all through your life where you're not speaking up and owning your truth and so your body is not going to be there for you when you need it Mm, mm. where would you say love starts then when it comes to loving yourself you'd mentioned physical attributes of yourself that you didn't like what about were there anything that you did love about yourself or it was like everything as a whole yeah you know, i guess that was like i thought i was i was highly intelligent but that was like 
tormenting as well because I was always finishing last. Right. And, you know, it's like, great, like I'm smart, but like no girl will date me. Uh, you know, people don't love me because I don't love myself. You know, the story starts playing out and then the story reinforces itself and then the story becomes truth. I was manifesting, I was reframing, but I was manifesting a shitty life. I was reframing everything in the negative sense where figures, huh, of course this happens to me. Oh, I guess that's the way things go. You know, my life sucks. That's the way I was reframing. I was connecting dots in a negative way. Whereas you can connect dots in a positive way. Like, wow, the universe is working for me. Everything's falling into place. Like, yeah, this is difficult, but it's going to make me stronger. Look at the lessons I'm learning. You know, that's the difference. That's the resilient mind. But I was constantly working against myself. And it's Mm -hmm. what I was trained to do. You know, the people around me were toxic because that's what I chose. That's what felt safe. I didn't love myself. So people around me certainly aren't going to love me. Again, I'm giving them the training manual on how to treat me. So they're not going to love me. I'm sorry. I was going to ask if they were toxic people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. hundred percent. I mean, if, if I was toxic to me again, I'm going to manifest people that are toxic to me as well. Mm-hmm. There's no saviors that come in. You have to save yourself. <laughs> it starts with you loving yourself. One of the best lessons that I learned, Roger, is that when I was in the plant medicine space, this finally occurred to me. I was always trying to level up. I was always trying to achieve more and more and more and more and more. And I was trying to get in the bigger room, like, you know, get the better car, get the better salary so I could prove myself to others, be externally validated that they would somehow love me and that I could finally love myself. But it doesn't work like that. And so I thought achievement would get me there, but I kept achieving more and more and more, but never getting the love from others and never getting the love for myself. Mm -hmm. What I finally realized when I was in a cuddle puddle on psilocybin in this plant medicine space was, oh my God, sexy isn't an achievement when I get, you know, six pack abs and a chiseled chest that uh, happy isn't an achievement when I get, you know, this beautiful girl or get this amazing car or this amazing house that successful isn't an achievement when I get to this amount of money or this job title. Those are all states of being. I can just be sexy, happy, successful now. I can just choose those things now and be those things now if I want to be. You know, right now there's someone who's super successful that's making, you know, $50,000 a year. You know, someone because you just see the success, you see how talented they are. You see their passion for what they're doing. And, you know, if I could invest in that person, I would. And, you know, there's people that are so happy that don't have all the things. And maybe they're even happy, happier because they don't. (laughs) And then there's people that are sexy that are thick right or whatever they are or or super skinny or whatever it is like because they just believe they're attractive and you're like wow i'm attracted to that person because they're so they've got something they seem confident like i love that Mm. and so you can have it all now 
And those were life-changing realizations for me. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So it's like, just make a decision to be happy. And that's, that's pretty much it. That will guide you in the right direction. Happiness is something that you can choose, but it's, it's your decisions that are going to start things in motion. That's what I'm saying. Like with that psychosomatic anchoring or with manifestation or reframing, if you start making decisions to, I love my body, body, I got your back. I love myself. I'm going to start saying positive things to myself. Watch what happens. You're going to start getting that job. You'll start getting non-toxic, actually loving people around you. Everything will start to reshape itself because you're changing your self-talk because you're changing the behaviors that you're doing to your body and for you. Amen. Amen. I've definitely been through that myself. I had so many toxic people around me and I, I was thinking, how do I get out of this? But it was not until I moved out of the neighborhoods and I just felt like my mind was clear. I was able to think more better because those people were not around me to constantly feed my ears with garbage. And then I That's started to read point. stuff. And I was like, wow, I didn't know this sort of information was available. So it was like more things starting to occupy more space in my brain as I started to kick out old stuff, which I um, was thinking about on a regular basis. But anyway, it, it, it occupies your thoughts. So it's, it's no different than being in like a, a toxic home with mold and, and, you know, roaches and all that kind of stuff. You need to get out of there sometimes like this is not healthy for me. I need to get out of here. And that's true too. Like if, if you don't like the people that are around you, you don't like the job you're at. You don't like the person that you're with in a relationship, leave it, go like get healthy Go, you know, save yourself. No, no, no one's coming in to save you. Save yourself. Your life is something that you're responsible for. And until you realize that, you won't have the better life. You have to be sovereign for your life. You have to be the king or queen of your life and take responsibility for it. The people that are toxic around you, you are choosing ultimately. This job that's toxic that you're at, you're choosing ultimately. The fact that you're not healthy right now, you know, that's something that you're choosing by not working out, by not getting out and walking, by not thinking happy thoughts, by not meditating, by not doing affirmations, gratitude, all these things that you could do because you're on your cell phone, because you're watching TV, because you're playing video games, because you're around toxic people. You can change all that. That's your responsibility. And you can change it right now by making a choice. That's right. That's right. Let's, um, let's move on to um, a few supplements. There's one thing you mentioned about, well, there's a few. <laughs> um, was it NMN? Nicotinamide mononucleotide? I don't even know. Yes, Is that right? right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's nicotinamide riboside. I think that one, is that correct? Yeah. Um, what's another one? NADH? Is that NADH? Yeah. So what's the, what's the difference between them all? How do they work in the body? And how would a person know which one is most suited to them? Um, or is there one which is better than the other? Yeah. So these are NAD boosting supplements. 
And NAD is cellular fuel for the mitochondria so that it, it can make the, the body's uh, energy source, which is ATP, adenosine triphosphate. So this, what we found is NAD is like one of the most critical molecules to giving us more cellular energy for us to have less aging, for us to have less disease, for us to just feel better is NAD. This compound is critical to creating energy. So us finding ways to boost NAD has become very important. NMN to me is a compound that's superior to NR, which is also called true niogen. NMN you can find on you know, Amazon, places like that. And this is a compound that's been shown to be in that pathway to boost NAD levels. Uh, I would take anywhere from 500 milligrams to two grams a day. Niacin actually, it's something I don't mention in the book, but niacin has been shown to dramatically increase NAD levels, but niacin is flushing of your skin. Like you get what's called peristesis, that burning and tingling. Yeah. I've had that before that kind of flushy feeling like yeah, itchy, yeah. prickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it takes higher doses to, to achieve this. So you'd have to find a way to kind of deal with that, even though over time it will reduce in its effect. Like you start getting used to it and it doesn't, it doesn't happen as dramatically. So that's something to look at. And then there's a group of compounds in the, in the class of polyphenols uh, that boost uh, NAD as well through a variety of mechanisms. Polyphenols occur in some of the most legendary foods we know of. So green tea has EGCG, um, you know, catechins in cacao, transresveratrol in red wine, terostilbene in blueberries, um, quercetin in onions and apples, apigenin, in parsley. There's a lot of these compounds out there, uh, fisetin and strawberries that are getting great research. What's cool though is fisetin is the one we're finding is probably the most effective at boosting NAD levels. And then on the other side, there's one called apigenin that's effective at inhibiting CD38 or NAD. It's also called NADase, the enzyme that breaks down NAD. And so what the problem is, as we age, we make a lot less NAD mm. and, we met, and we break it down much faster. Oh, damn. So that's, that's a problem. It's a double whammy and why we're feeling like we're aging, why we're feeling more tired, why we're not having as much energy. So the idea for me is to take NMN, to take fisetin, fisetin. and to take apigenin. There is a compound quercetin that does both uh, similar to apigen and efficetin, but it has very low bioavailability and so it doesn't do it as well. Mm. But you can get a liposomal or bioavailability enhanced quercetin and maybe it would close that gap. So um, those are some compounds that could help with that cellular energy and anti-aging. When you talk of liposomal um, delivery, those those type of supplements are not cheap, though, are they? I know I've looked at uh, uh, NMN before. But I remember hearing it on a podcast. What lady, there was a lady, I forgot her name. Under Patrick? Yes. Yeah, she was talking about it, and um, I was like, wow. Yeah, Rhonda Patrick, David Sinclair, Peter Atia, they all they all talk about yeah, it. Yeah, David Sinclair. 
Um, I've got his audio book. I haven't finished it yet. He's, yeah, it was very complicated. I'll mm -hmm. be honest, he, his voice doesn't sound very exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so as I was looking into that, I was thinking, damn, this is expensive. Really expensive. And I guess like, you know, everybody's trying to, um, you know, chase longevity, you know, um, everyone wants to live longer. And that's probably one of the selling points about it. Because um, it helps to reduce the, uh, DNA damage or something. Is, is that right? Yep, exactly. It definitely does. It, it protects the DNA. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So what's the average price on uh, NMN supplement? Well, it depends on the dose you're taking. Like I said, I, I think a lot of times the dose in these supplements are like 200 milligrams. And if you extrapolate out the data from animals, um, that dose would be anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams, which means you need to take a whole lot more than a lot of these companies are providing. <laughs> and even the human studies on NMN are much lower and the data is just kind of okay but I think that's the problem with the human studies is that the dose is, is way too low. Right. Right. Okay. What about, um, what would you say is the best type of supplements for mitochondrial dis dysregulation? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And something I'm very passionate about because at the end of the day, about 99% of our diseases are not genetic. They are metabolic in nature, which means a lot of times it's tied to insulin resistance and elevated blood glucose and elevated insulin. And that leads to mitochondrial dysfunction, which leads to glycation, inflammation, oxidation, aging, and, and, and it, it, almost every type of disease. So this is where that matters so much when you're looking at aging and feeling great as you age and being at a better biological age than your chronological age and having longer telomere length. That's all like important when it comes to this discussion. Mm. And the mitochondria are the, are the cellular powerhouse. They're the little factory in the cell. They're the, the engine to your car. They're the heart to your body essentially. So you need to protect that heart, protect that engine. And a lot of times this engine is working so hard because you're not providing it the proper fuel. It's not getting enough NAD, which is like gasoline for the engine. So these mitochondria are breaking down and you don't have enough of them in your body. And when you do things like fasting and keto and red light therapy and cold plunges and a lot of these biohacks that improve resilience, you actually upregulate the number of mitochondria with something called mitochondrial biogenesis. So you'll have more engines throughout the body to make you more power. Amazing. So that's helpful. But supplements along those lines would be things like, we know CoQ10 and PQQ work directly on the mitochondria with the electron transport chain, which is important to create that ATP. And so that's why, especially in cells that have tons of mitochondria, like your heart cells that have to produce a lot of energy. So that's why we've seen those compounds have particularly powerful effects 
in the cardiocytes, like the, the heart cells. And so uh, those would be two things to look at. Again, the polyphenols are going to be very protective uh, of the mitochondria here. And it's really about those behaviors. Like I said, the, the fasting, the keto, the, the you know, temperature variance with the, the hot and the cold, um, you know, doing high intensity interval training, you know, those kinds of things are going to be powerful for the mitochondria, but it's kind of the whole list, the NMN, the CoQ10, the PQQ, the polyphenols like apigenin, fisetin, and quercetin. Those are going to be like some of the most important things that you can give your mitochondria to power them up. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. You mentioned um, high-intensity interval training. Is that Would that be better than resistance training? Because the heart is moving. <laughs> so that's an interesting question. Better, better depends on what your goals are. But when it comes to changing body composition, when it comes to uh, adapting in terms of exercise performance, when it comes to longevity and resilience, high intensity interval training is going to be the most effective thing because you're training at 90, 95, 100% of your maximal capacity. And that's where adaptation is truly going to take place. With low intensity steady state, like doing typical cardio, you're doing, you know, whatever it is, treadmill, um, um, you know, the bike, like what, whatever, like circuit training, whatever that looks like for you. Um, you know, you're training at 40, 50% of your one rep max. And, you know, you're training at 40 to 50% of, of your, of your maximal effort, you're going to be burning calories. You're going to be moving your body, but your body doesn't need to make radical changes that high intensity interval training. It's going to make a lot more mitochondria because damn, we're, we're maxed out. We need more energy. It's going to upregulate the way you store glycogen in the muscle. It's going to give you more endurance with cardiovascular benefits to your lungs and your heart. It's going to make your brain more neuroplastic because we need to stay sharp when we're maximized like this, instead of feeling like exhausted and tanked. Like so and we're going to burn more fat because, you know, we need energy on demand and fat's one of the fuels that we need. And, and we're going to build more muscle because like the way he's sprinting, like we need a place for that glycogen to be stored. We need a place for the mitochondria to be more active. So we're going to increase the amount of muscle. I mean, that's where high intensity interval training can be helpful, but definitely strength training is still important to have that muscle fiber recruitment, to have that innervation, to have the you know ability to know how to use your muscle, move your muscle, like the kinesiology of your muscle. Uh, the awareness of, of, of how you're moving in space, like the kinesthetics of, you know, the whole thing, like, um, is just, obviously that's important as well. And, you know, you know, going through range of motion, motion in your muscle and learning how to activate it fully, like that only happens with, uh, resistance training, but there's ways to obviously combine high intensity interval training and resistance training. You can do like things like drop sets and supersets and 
you know, whatever, and like really get after it. You can add that intraset stretching in between your sets, like, which is like intraset stretching would be like, if you're doing biceps, you know, you're doing your set of curls and then in between the set of curls for like 30 seconds, you're flexing out your tricep as hard as possible so that your bicep is fully lengthened and stretched. And then you go right back into more of the curls. And so you're, you're under, you know, it's time under tension where your muscle is always like working. That muscle is like either being stretched or used or it's not at rest. Yeah, I do that so, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you could actually add blood flow restriction to that mix too. And mm-hmm. blood flow restriction is going to add like that, that volumization, that, uh, that feeling of, you know, you're being swole or whatever that happens, you know, in your third or fourth set, like towards the end, you can get right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you can get after it right at the beginning and, you know, get to the pain early on. And so you do blood flow restriction, do intraset stretching, do drop sets, supersets. And in, you know, 20 minutes, you can do more than someone's doing in a gym in two hours. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Giving away my tips, bro. Ain't supposed to be telling people this. <laughs> there is there is something cool. Uh, this this makes me think of something I talk about in my hidden chapter. If you go to energyformula.com, you get like a recipe guide, you get free QA, you get a fasting for energy guide that's all cited on how to do fasting and different fasting types. But I also have a hidden chapter on natural movement, ancestral movement, you know, that talks about crawling and and climbing and all the things that we used to do when we used to move our bodies. But one of the biggest points of research right now is the idea of exercise snacks. And it's moving your body throughout the day that we shouldn't be sedentary all day, every day, and then go to the gym for that one hour and think that's going to undo all that. While it is obviously healthy that we're going to the gym, They've found it takes about 45 minutes just to undo all the sitting and laying down that you've done all day when you're at your computer, when you're on your couch, when you're in your bed, when you're in your car, we're just sitting or laying down all day. So taking these breaks every hour to do five minutes of movement, stretching, yoga, sprints out in the yard, air squats, burpees, whatever it looks like, push-ups, moving your body, getting circulation going those things are absolutely critical. Like your body is actually remodeling all the time. It's changing all the time to support what you're doing to it. So if you're sitting all the time, your body's fascia, that connective tissue around your muscle is actually remodeling and hardening so that it can keep you energetically in that position and expend less energy. And that's why you feel so tight and you feel so... Uh, drained when you try and move your body because it's literally trying to keep you in that position because that's what you're telling it that's what you're teaching it to do it's it's a fascinating thing isn't it like where the body just it's like okay is this what we're doing right all right no worries i'll set everything up i'll program everything so that we do this efficiently (laughs) your your body is is always working on your behalf and that's it's kind of like the idea of the universe is always working in your favor Mm -hmm. if you believe that and i always think now like while i used to think my body was constantly betraying me now i see my body was withstanding the hell i was putting it through and i have so much gratitude for the way i thought about it the way i treated it 
And it was so resilient to do what it did and survive all that. Mm-hmm. And my body is always working on my behalf. It's just, what am I telling it it needs to do? And I'm telling it it needs to sit. I'm telling it it needs to do these things. So it's saying, okay, like, let's sit. Let's figure out a way that we can sit best by keeping that body in that position of sitting. <laughs> it's funny because there's times you might start to feel pain and normally when you start to feel some sort of pain it's where it's it's to a point where your body had been suffering for a long time but you just didn't know it and then it's like finally okay that's it i i i need i need to speak up because you 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 obviously don't know what's going on and it's been dealing with it it's been withstanding so much stuff and people don't realize that and your, I, your body your body's like the little kid that's saying hey hey dad dad hey dad 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 hey hey look at me dad 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 and you're like yeah whatever all right cool cool yeah uh-huh I, yep 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 and then it's full-on screaming something broke uh something fell down and you know the table just fell over whatever you know all the toys are on the floor looks like a bomb went off and you're like hey what the hell happened here <laughs> yeah acting all surprised it right? <laughs> your body your body's sending you all these signals telling you all these things but we're suppressing it we're ignoring it you know we're taking uh advil and a leave to get through it mm-hmm. all right yeah whatever body like yeah okay 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 yeah uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and at some point there's going to be a breaking point because you've been ignoring it you've been ignoring it you've been ignoring it and then you're like what the hell happened this is crap but why weren't you listening for like the last you know five years and ignoring it so true you mentioned earlier about uh bio individuality um bio resilience and i find that quite interesting because everybody needs to take an approach of just like an individual approach in their health and fitness to find out what what works for them um if someone wanted to find the right type of diet suitable for them what would you say is a good starting approach for that person i love pre-workouts before training and protein powder after my training sessions to make sure my body is pre-amped, nourished, and recovered. But one of the things I don't like are the amount of unnecessary ingredients in many of the supplements which are available. Wicked naturals are different. They don't use artificial colors, sweeteners, or flavors. They also refrain from using gums and fillers, which are abundant in the bodybuilding and fitness industry. Not only are the ingredients efficacious, but much of them are purely organic. Now check out wickednaturals.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. The website link is wickednaturals.com, wicked spelled W-Y-C-K-E-D, naturals.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. Yeah, I love that question. And yeah, I definitely cover bio-individuality because we are all different. There's no study that covers 8 billion people. 
<laughs> and even when I've funded studies, uh, you still have, I mean, one, these studies are typically, uh, you know, white college age males that are fairly affluent that are working out. And so that doesn't necessarily apply to a 50 year old African American woman that, you know, doesn't work out and whatever. It's like, you know, that the data is directional. It's great that we're getting the data and that's the easiest way to get the data in these universities. So I'm not knocking the system. It's just, it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. And even when you look at these males that are almost all the same in, in, in the way that they're, you know, their backgrounds, uh, there's still hyper responders and then non-responders. There's people that drop out of the study. There's people in the middle, but there's people that have no effect. And there's people that have you know, three, four, five times the effect as everyone else. And so just know that there's bio-individuality. We're all different. And so this data is directional. It's helpful. It's a place to start. But listen to your body like we were just talking about and listen to what it's telling you and say, does this work for me? Does it not? And for me, that means not shotgunning a bunch of concepts or supplements all at once. And it means doing one thing at a time. That's the scientific method. So you can evaluate whether it's working for you or not. Is this helping me or is it not? And then I will adopt it as part of my protocol or get rid of it as a result. So that's important. And then the idea of bioresilience as a result is there's allostatic load in the body, which means the amount of stress that you can handle, right? There's a bucket, there's a stress bucket. And in that bucket is what's called the allostatic load. And there are things that are U stresses, EU stress, that are positive stresses, if you think of a bell curve. In the middle, there's something called the Goldilocks zone, which is the optimal amount of stress for the optimal amount of adaptation. And then on the other side, the right side of the bell curve would be distress where, okay, that thing that was a positive stressor, we did too much and is no longer positive stress and is now hurting us. Like working out, like cold therapy, like red light saunas, like fasting, like keto, whatever, like these things that can be positive stresses can be distresses when done too much or when you have too much going on and you're already overstressed. There could be something that you do all the time, like working out, that's typically healthy for you, that's typically a positive stress. But let's say you just got divorced, Roger, you just lost your job, you know, you just uh, uh, got COVID-19. Is going to the gym healthy? Probably not that week, you know, it could actually be a distress. So there's things in our life that can be counterproductive at times or positive at times, but it's about creating greater resilience, which means a bigger bucket. We used to be harder to kill. We used to be anti-fragile. Now we are more fragile. Now we are easier to kill because our bucket is much smaller because we don't have the resilience we once had. We're now temperature controlled 24 seven when we're in our car, when we're in the office, when we're at the house, like we're temperature controlled. We don't go out in extreme heat anymore. We don't go out in extreme cold anymore. You know, some of the ways to actually increase your resilience would be like taking what's called a shiver walk or sleeping without your blankets or sheets or using a chili pad, which is like a cooled uh, bed mattress. Can I, you sorry, know, can I interrupt there just, just quickly and you can yeah. continue. 
What if you have trouble sleeping when it's cold? Is there a way of building up to enjoy the cold? Like I've tried it a few times and I'm like, I'll wake up during the night and I'll just pull the cover up. And, you That's know, fine. That's fine. It's, it's, you know, just like I'm going to get into taping the mouth probably in this show, which is a weird hack, but doing a little bit is fine. That's training your body. And you know what, going the whole night without the blanket on might be a distress for you. So your body's telling you, okay, we're good. Pull the blanket back up. So listen to your body. You know, you, you pushed it. And, you know, you went an hour or two without the blanket. That's great. You know, maybe it takes like six weeks, 10 weeks, 10 months. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you doing it is better than you not doing it. That's what, that's really important that it's not all or nothing that you starting down that path is really important. Like I talk about in the book with nutrition, like I don't beat anyone up. Like if, if you're, if you went from six Cokes a day to two Cokes and I see someone drinking Coke and they're overweight, I don't say, Hey, you know, you're fat. Like, why are you drinking Coke? I don't know their journey. And that could be a massive win towards their, their health path. If they're going from six Cokes to two Cokes, that's amazing. That's so awesome. Like, I'm so happy for you that you're doing that. So just starting down that path and and moving taking those steps that's amazing so you know kudos to that but if i was going to suggest like what diet to do i mean what i talk about in the book is like again just taking the steps we would all agree on which to me is number one whole food eating the food we were meant to eat and basically if it wasn't around 150 years ago or more then you probably shouldn't be eating it it's a product of industrialization. It's a product of synthesis. It's artificial. And I'm not saying all artificial things are bad, but I'm not saying that there's no natural foods that are bad that I know of. Like, you know, there's things that are, you know, natural in nature that might be, you know, poisonous, but like the foods that we're eating that are natural, that are organically farmed and sourced are going to be healthy for you. And we all agree on that. That's the idea behind paleo, the, the clean keto, the you know, well-constructed carnivore that's nose to tail, the, the well-constructed vegan, it's all whole food. Mm-hmm. That's what we should all agree on. So you know, going there first, finding ways to move your body right after you eat. There's tons of data to show that taking what's called a postprandial stroll that upregulates the GLUT4 translocation so that you pull more glucose into the cell, that blood sugar isn't hanging around longer, and you're much healthier as a result. So just taking a 10 to 15 minute walk after you eat, critical. And then I recommend trying to snack less and possibly do at least a 12 and 12 intermittent fast where I'm only going to have my meals during this 12 hour window during the daylight. And there's data on that, that circadian rhythm is important and just eating during the daylight window is important. So that's the data we know. Now, as for like what diet you end up choosing, keto, you know, some of the nuances of paleo or Mediterranean or vegan or whatever it is, I mean, that's based on what you will stick to and enjoy. I talk about in the book what I do with a metabolically flexible 
keto that does uh, cyclical and targeted where I do have carbs strategically and I end up being dual fuel as a result where I can use glucose and use ketones. Yeah, me, me too, me too. For me, that's what's maintainable long-term and that I enjoy and I can stick to. If I was strict, strict keto, it would burn me out. Like I would feel like I couldn't have the things that I enjoy. And so this way, when I do cyclical and targeted, I can still have, you know, occasionally like cookies and cake and pizza and, you know, whatever, like, you know, on occasion, I just earn them. I don't have them very often. I look forward to them. I enjoy them when I have them. And then I'm back on my diet and I'm cruising. Yeah. And that's yeah. how you do it. And that's how you live life. I do like that. Um, cyclical keto. I do cyclical keto uh, in a in a in an intermittent fast. But like, what is that? What is that you mentioned? Targeted. Yeah. So after training, I would um, you know I'd have carbohydrates sometimes. Um, there's certain days I, I won't have it. I go by the way I feel. Um, I can go quite long without without carbs, to be honest with you, and feel fine. But sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I should throw it in now. And then I do. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I can feel it. <laughs> I wanted to ask on that. Um, so you've got essential amino acids. You've got essential fatty acids, but you don't have essential carbs. However, the diet which most westernized people have is heavy carbs. Like, what's the deal with carbs? Like, do we really need it? No. We don't. We, we don't. Can, we can live without 100%, it. Yeah. 100%. 100% can live without it. And some people might argue, wait, 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 you, you need fiber. We're told you need fiber. That's a carbohydrate, right? You don't. When you're on the carnivore diet, for example, you switch over. And ultimately that fermentation of fiber in the gut is what's making something called butyrate, which is fuel for the gut, a short chain fatty acid. And you naturally make that from the fatty acids uh, that are present in the diet. You can break those down into the short chain fatty acids like butyrate, uh, propionate and um, uh, acetic acid uh, acetate. So you can make those for the gut when you're just eating a carnivore diet and you don't have the fiber present, it takes a little bit for your body to switch over, but it can happen. So there is no carbohydrate that's needed. Glucose uh, isn't needed um, when it comes to consumption uh, of carbohydrate. You can make glucose for the brain. You do need about 50 grams of glucose a day, but it's made through uh, either gluconeogenesis from protein or it's made by uh, a process of, of uh, taking the, the glycerol from uh, the fatty acids. And so you can make that small bit of glucose that your brain needs through uh, fat and protein essentially. So there is no need for carbohydrate. Um, that said, I think of carbohydrate as a tool and it's a tool that you can earn. I remember a friend of mine, a mentor that was a dietitian and, and my mentor when I was at Dimatize and he was the CSO and I was the director of R&D. I was over at his house and his kids wanted cookies. And he said, did you guys run around and play outside for an hour yet? And then they said, no. And then they went outside and played for an hour and then he gave them cookies. 
And I was like, that's perfect. Like you can have carbs. Did you earn them? Mm-hmm. Like otherwise don't have them because you don't need them. The only people that should be having carbs are people that are moving their body and want it, you know, like then, then you can fuel your body using that. But to me, carbs are fuel for active people. If you are sedentary, don't have carbs. That's my solution. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I also encourage my, my daughter, we have a trampoline in the garden. And if we're going to have, I don't know, like a pizza or just like a heavy, heavy carb meal, I get her jumping up and down for a bit. I funny thing is she enjoys do it, doing it without me needing to encourage her that much. And she knows like, if we're going to have a pizza, we have pizza. Okay. Just going outside. And <laughs> she'll start jumping up and down. So it's, it's cool that she's already kind of, you know, got the concept there. And, and you know what, that, that does, like I was talking about that primes that glute for translocation to pull blood sugar into like when you're doing it just before, just after eating, moving your body is going to pull that blood glucose into the cell. And so that you can store it as muscle glycogen instead of uh, storing it as fat and running into blood sugar damage and glycation and oxidation and inflammation, all those things. So that's an awesome habit to have is not only moving your body, but moving it around the time you are having carbs. You mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier about, yeah, going, going for a walk after you eat. Um, does it make a difference if you go out for a walk while it's hot or while it's cold? Is there a difference in the body? Where even it's better. It's even better because you're staying away from that thermal regulation and you're getting more towards resilience. Your body is trying to maintain homeostasis. Mm-hmm. So your body is expending calories to keep your body at the right temperature. So if it's very cold out, it's doing things to uh, upregulate thermogenesis, to create heat. And that's why we've seen with cold plunges and cryotherapy, it actually upregulates something called brown adipose tissue. The fat that's around your collarbone and around your neck, uh, there's about six to seven ounces of it. And what it does is it's one brown because it's so mitochondrial dense and it creates heat. It's actually, you use it heavily when you're a baby because you lack the ability to shiver until six, seven, eight, nine months. And so this is a way that you can generate heat before you can shiver. So this might be the thing that also is kind of the holy grail on how some people just seem to stay thin despite all the food that they're eating is that they have more active and more an amount of brown adipose tissue and then on the flip side when you're exposed to like high heat like a sauna or even just being outside on a really hot day is you're actually upregulating these heat shock proteins you're trying to again cool the body down so you're sweating profusely you're cleaning out those pores you're getting rid of toxins you're you know working through uh, uh, stored fluid and then um, refilling that stored fluid and moving electrolytes in the body. And um, you're also upregulating IGF-1, testosterone, growth hormone, et cetera. So all of that's happening when you're in the sauna or exposed to heat. So even better is the idea of contrasting where you go hot to cold, hot to cold, like maybe think of the polar bear club where these guys you know, went from the sauna to jumping in ice water. You know, or whatever, but you can do this in the shower, just going back and forth from hot to cold, hot to cold. 
and you will get the benefits of not only uh, all those cool things that I was talking about with cold exposure, which also includes dramatically reducing inflammation, by the way, and also getting the benefits of hot exposure, but then also getting the delta of temperatures, which is even greater, so you have even greater resilience. So all that's happening. So absolutely, it's great to take a walk and get yourself uncomfortable at times to enhance your resilience and burn more calories. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. A couple of things I was thinking about. Firstly, I've been out in the cold after eating. Feels good, feels nice, I like it. Um, I've been out after eating in the heat and it doesn't feel as good. It, like, it, feel, it doesn't feel as good on my stomach. And I've also experienced it, um, I would say, more intensely in the sauna. Like, if I eat and I go in the sauna, that's it. I'm, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So, um, first of all, why is that? <laughs> and um, could you replace going out for a walk and going in a cold shower? <laughs> um would that would you achieve anything on that like a really cold shower by by taking a cold shower instead of going out for a walk yeah um well, you need to be physically moving it's it's ideal that you are moving the muscles and so that all of the muscles are upregulating these glute four uh transporters mm -hmm. um but it's obviously good to do the cold shower. Uh, what would be great is if you took a walk and then a cold shower, okay. uh, that would be amazing. But as far as the uh, heat exposure and eating, I, I mean, I think that makes sense to some degree that, you know, it's a weird thing to go from, uh, to go from temperature controlled and eating to really hot and, and, you know, maybe your body is doing a lot to maintain its cooler temperature and it's diverting blood flow away from digestion to trying to figure out, you know, how to cool your body. Um, so that might be some of the issues that are happening there. I, I get the same thing. If it's really hot out, I don't feel hungry at all. But sometimes I think that's great when you're out in the heat is to not feel as hungry. Mm. And it makes sense too, if you're, if you're out in the heat, uh, you don't need as many calories typically as when you're, your body's saying we're in the freezing cold, we're going to store body fat to keep us warm 24 seven. So, um, you know, that can be a thing, but like when you're just exposing it here and there, it's a positive stress and it's burning calories either way. It's more about like long-term, you know, if you were to look at like uh, an African tribe, like they're going to be relatively lean um, versus like an Eskimo tribe, you know, they're going to be have more body fat because they need that for warmth. So it's just, you know, evolutionary adaptation there too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes sense. Absolutely. Ah. Um, what's your idea of balance? Okay, so you've got people... I think it's such a debate. I've seen it so many times where people say, you need balance in your life. And then they got a pint of beer in their hand and stuff like that. Whereas you've got some people who might say, yeah, but beer is bad for you. It's got gluten and all this sorts of stuff. Maybe even glyphosate, depending where 
you know, it's been um, where it's been made. But, you know, you got some people who might, let's say, eat healthy five days of the week and then they just get trashed over the weekend. Is that balance? Like, what is balance to you? That's a that's an amazing question, and it's a great debate to have, and it, and it goes back to bioindividuality and the idea of like hormetic stress, which is that positive stress, the EU stress that I talked about, U stress, um, means that it's a positive stress that helps us grow and adapt, and so that's going to be different for everyone. One thing I would say is like with the example you gave is at least they're eating healthy and living a solid lifestyle five days a week. I mean, that certainly is a whole lot better than someone who's, you know, getting drunk or, or eating like crap seven days a week. So hmm. yeah, I'd be like, kudos to them. Like that's, that's better than most people are doing if they're eating healthy five days a week. Is it good that they're getting drunk on the weekend? No, but I mean, that's certainly what I would call like a prophylactic or protective way of, you know, living a better, longer life, doing what you're going to be doing and, and at least addressing it by having healthy lifestyle five days a week. So um, that's an interesting one, but obviously it's not healthy to get drunk on the weekends. I think it could be, you could argue possibly healthy to get drunk every now and then like maybe a couple times a year or something. It's just like, I would say it's not healthy to stay up all night, but maybe it is a couple times a year. Is you that know, some of these, is you know, some, some of these things that, that like aren't necessarily healthy consistently could be a positive stress could make you adapt on occasion. It's just hard to say like, mm-hmm. and, and it's one of those things where people just want to put things in a box of good or bad. And there is none of that. There is none of that. There's bio-individuality. We're all different. And there's degrees of what we're exposing ourselves to. And like you said, you know, maybe if it's, you know, a beer that has more gluten or has more glyphosate or, you know, more calories or, you know, what are you doing while you're drinking the beer? Are you making reckless decisions? Are you staying up late while you're drinking the beer? Like, are you eating more food because you're drinking the beer? Is that food unhealthy? Like, you know, what, like, are you, you know, having reckless sexual relationships because of like, you're drinking the beer and, you know, are you driving your car because you're drinking the beer when you're already drunk? Like, what's going on? Are you still hydrating when you're drinking the beer? Like, there's so much for me to like say like about that. Like it's, this is what goes back to bio-individuality mm. and there are things that are positive stressors, but it's like the idea of when you don't seek ease, your body will get in states of dis-ease. You will get disease and when it's done chronically, but for small bursts, it can be a positive stress and up level your ability to maintain ease despite what's going on around it. Right. It's just like a Navy SEAL, you know, does some breath work before going into a firefight. He might be able to remain calm where you would be shitting your pants, Mm. you know? And it's just like his ease is different than my ease. Mm. So 
that's because he was able to have positive stressors at periods of time and level up his ease. But it doesn't matter when you're away from ease chronically, you will be in states of disease. You will get diseases. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 varies per person then as to what type of or amount of stress is good for each individual body as to whether that is good balance or not. You know, when someone says, oh yeah, you need a bit of balance in your life and they get trashed on a weekend, well, their body might be okay for it. So they can do that, you know. Yeah, I mean, someone someone else's balance may be that they're, you know, uh, vegan, but like on occasion they're having some cup, like a couple eggs or like, or, you know, someone else may be eating super clean bodybuilder diet. And then their version of balance is that they had like some organic paleo cheesecake, you know, like uh, once a month, right? That's their version of balance. Someone else, like you said, might be their version of balance might be like, well, I had a salad today. So for dinner, I'm going to have Twinkies and beer. Like, you know, that's a different, like, <laughs> what is your version of balance? Like there, there's just so much to that question. Like, mm. and everyone's version of balance is different. So yeah, absolutely. Bioindividuality on that front. Mm, yeah. 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 So <clears throat> there's lots of people. I, I don't know whether you want to answer this. You could say pass. But um, there's lots of people making decisions on the different types of vaccinations they're going to have. <laughs> um, obviously, you got the Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. I think mm-hmm. I think yeah. Johnson and Johnson have messed up quite a few times. I don't know if they're still about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to be honest, they couldn't even do good with baby powder. I mean, they, I'm sure they got sued so many times. I'm surprised they were even allowed to. But I wanted to ask, if you live a healthy life, um, would, w- what's your thoughts? Do you think that every single person needs to get a vaccination? I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe that. Um, the idea of resilience in my book, let me throw the caveat uh, about this. Like, you know, one... I'm not criticizing if you did choose to get a vaccination. Uh, that's a personal choice. Um, you know, I think those things are called for at times when just like antibiotics and things like that can be called for at times when you're in a situation of being immunocompromised and your health is potentially in peril. Like that makes sense to me. But <clears throat> what I will say is that we were adapted, we were harder to kill. We had that greater allostatic load stress bucket when we were exposing ourselves to more. The number of bacteria on our bodies and in our bodies outnumbers our cells 10 to one. We're more bacteria than cell as a human. And the idea of using sanitizers and antibiotics to essentially nuke our skin or our gut from, we call it good bacteria, the, the bacteria that protects us. And then we call it bad bacteria, this, this bacteria that's supposedly not healthy. But all of this bacteria serves us. 
And it's constantly changing the amount of strains based on the environments we're in, the people we're, we're hugging or talking to, the food we're eating, the, the places we're traveling to, the soil that we're digging up and putting on our fingers. This, this bacteria is always in motion and always changing to keep us resilient. And that good bacteria keeps us resilient and protects us. But the quote unquote bad bacteria challenges us and keeps us stronger. So unless you're immunocompromised, unless you're really unhealthy, I think taking the approach where you're nuking the body or you're overriding the body's immune system and the ability for it to be resilient is counterproductive. It's the idea of like scorched earth, like, uh, like out in my yard that I'm looking at right now, there's some dandelions and there's some uh, clover and there's you know, all these different weeds besides the grass. So is my best solution to just burn my entire yard to the ground? <laughs> That's what we're doing. Instead of like, instead of, you know, feeding the grass and maybe adding some uh, weeding solution or, you know, something like where we're eating healthy food, where we're exercising, we're exposing ourselves to hot and cold, where we're, you know, doing fasting and, and doing all these things we know that increase resilience. We're just nuking it. And what do you end up with when you don't hug people and get around people, when you feel lonely and fearful, when you don't eat as healthy a diet, when you don't uh, get out and about and travel, when you don't get sunlight and fresh air, when you don't get out and ground and put your hands and feet in the soil, when you're not petting animals that have a different microbiome, when you're not doing all this, what are you doing? You're lowering your resilience. You're lowering your ability for your immune system to be as vibrant and functional. So surprise, surprise, when people stayed in, didn't hug anyone, didn't interact with anyone, won't eat food off the floor, clean every door handle, use hand sanitizer 24-7, put on masks of which they're breathing their own bacteria and getting infections, uh, you know, doing all of this stuff, surprise, you know, and then being fearful because they're tuned into the news and fear suppresses your immune system 50%. Surprise, mm. you're getting sick. Guess what you need? The vaccine. You're getting sick. It's crazy. I don't think people need the vaccine if they're getting out and about and are healthy and are exercising and are out in the soil and the sun and the fresh air and, and have pets and have great relationships and avoid the news and they don't need it. Most of the time they don't need it. So I'm thinking, that's what I'm thinking as well. I mean, I'm not in no rush myself. I'm, I'm like, do you know what? I take care of myself. I do lots of biohacks. I'm in good health. And um, it's like I'm having that discussion with some people and they're like, what do you mean? Like, you need to hurry up. I received a letter from the, uh, the, the National Health Service saying, yeah, you're up, you're next. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm cool. I'm cool for now. I'll let, I'll let the, the people who need it go ahead of me and I'll just sit back. And uh, I, to be honest, like, if I get it, I get it. I'm in no worries at all. Like That's the thing. Like, it's not the worst thing to get it. Like, I mean, 
this actually makes you stronger. This is the idea of herd immunity. And what does getting it mean? What does getting it mean? It's like, did you know that we have cancer in our cells all the time? Yeah. All the time. It's the degree to which there's the amount of cancer and how, how uncontrollable it is that when it becomes a problem, when there's a tipping point. I'm sure you've had COVID-19 30 times. I have too. How much of it did you have and what did it do to your body? And in low levels, chronically, it's going to strengthen you without you getting sick and you'll develop an immunity. Surprise, surprise. This is how it works. Like, and even if you do get sick, that's okay because you're resilient and healthy. And if there's a problem, you can go to the hospital. But like when you're young and healthy, this is no different than you getting influenza and maybe like a couple times you've had the flu and gotten really sick and it took a week or two and it, you know, knocked you down, but you bounce back up. I've had the flu and, once. Yeah. And, but you probably had the flu a hundred times, mm -hmm. but it's been subclinical and you just feel like, oh, like maybe you didn't notice one time. Another time you felt like a little headache. Another time you felt a little fatigue and that was all good exposure that made you stronger. So this is the thing, like my dog can go drink from the dirty lake and my dog can eat her own poop and be just fine. <laughs> why is that? You know, why is it like people in Mexico can, you know, drink that water that would make us sick and give us Montezuma's revenge? Why is that? It's because they're more resilient. It's because they're exposed to more things. And the more we say, I can't eat that food that just dropped on the floor. I won't touch that doorknob. Or, you know, I'm not going to hug that person or, oh, they're coughing and sneezing. I don't want to be around them. Mm. Guess what you get? You get a very weak immune system and you get what you get. Now you're getting sick and you need vaccines and antibiotics and all the things because you're not exposing yourself to what you need to be exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. The whole thing is wild. Um, I want to ask about bcaas because there's this i've heard conflicting information about that um that bcaas some say it's helpful some say it's harmful i've heard that um bcaas can um uh, affect uh tryptophan i don't know if it affects the absorption of tryptophan or hinders it so can end up causing you uh, some kind of depression. You're you're like the formulation king. So I, I need this cleared up. What's what's the deal? Like, is BCAAs good? Is it okay? Is it useful? Uh, is if, it if you're if you're using BCAAs all day every day, you can run into that uh, central fatigue uh, concept where you're um, depleted of of tryptophan potentially. But that's like. Um, that's like when you're doing like literally BCAAs in a jug, like all day, every day. I think if you're using BCAAs, seven grams once or twice a day, not a big deal. That's not something you're going to run into. Okay. Um, and then that would be the seven gram dose is the ideal dose with two to one to one BCAAs where your leucine is three and a half grams. And the other three and a half grams is going to be the isoleucine and the valine. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to have that leucine around the meal. So you're optimizing muscle protein synthesis with your protein bolus. Mm. 
So like I would have my BCAAs, you know, towards the end of my workout and then go into a protein based meal and you're going to optimize that protein synthesis. Right. What's the deal with just three branch chain amino acids? Why has that been selected? Because, all right, so I understand that you, you know, if you have the nine essential ones, then you can build, you know, a complete protein. But with the three, what's the deal? Like where that is? It's kind of, here's my analogy is that, is it important to take electrolytes? Yes. Yeah. Like to hydrate, sure. Yep. That's kind of like the idea of EAAs. You want to get all the essential amino acids. Hmm. But 90%, 80 to 90% of what you're losing in sweat is sodium. So if I was to just take one thing, it would be some salt. And that's cheap and that's easy. And that's most of what you're losing. And so that's what you need to be most concerned about. With BCAAs, about 70% of your muscle is BCAAs. And then there's, you know, the other amino acids. Are they important? Sure. Especially when they're essential? Sure. But you can get those essential amino acids in any animal protein source. So it's not a big deal, but you may not be getting enough leucine in, in that, in that protein bolus. So, you know, it could be with that 25 grams of protein you're having with your meal, you might have one gram of leucine in there and you're not getting enough leucine to truly optimize muscle protein synthesis. So that's where uh, fortifying leucine or BCAAs could be helpful. Okay. Okay. That's cleared it up a bit. Thanks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think we'd, we'd spoken briefly. Um, I've done a, a podcast with someone talking about sweeteners about um what was that sweetener what was that sweetener monk fruit stevia allulose stevia so it was mentioned that stevia yeah can be toxic to Mm -hmm. the body and i think you left a comment in saying that there is some data showing that it there there could be some toxicity to the body if you have a certain amount um and that's annoying, if I'm honest with you. Like, as humans, we like sweet stuff. Anytime you decide you're going to have something sweet, there's always someone with a crucifix saying, no, you can't have sweet stuff. That's too much. But us humans, we love it. Like, is there a way we can have a lot of sweet stuff and enjoy it and there's no problem? What I would say is that there's a degree of gut microbiome change, speaking of bacteria in the gut, which is where about 70% of your immunity is, which is where the majority of your neurotransmitters are. Some people call the gut the second brain. Maybe it should be called the first brain. Um, That's where a lot of your health lies is in your gut. And what we found is when we have sweet stuff in general, whether it's monk fruit, stevia, sucralose, uh, you know, ACE K, uh, NutraSweet, also called um, um, aspartame, like all of these things, like will, and even sugar itself will change the gut microbiome. And it seems like that just anything sweet <clears throat> kind of changes the gut microbiome and might change the way your insulin reacts because of it's expecting sweet, it's expecting sugar. 
So there's things that are happening as a result of that. This is going to vary based on the person. What they found in one study with sucralose, and I feel like this is true in general, is that sucralose, which is also called Splenda, um, it affected people that were overweight uh, to change the gut microbiome and increase inflammation and increase storage of body fat. But with people that were lean and healthy, it did not. So there's bioindividuality there. And I don't have all the answers on why that is, but I feel like the body is used to when you're lean and muscular, that the more muscle you have, the more of those GLUT4 transporters you have that I was talking about, they're all along the muscle. So the more muscle you have and the more active you make that muscle, the more you're efficient at storing blood sugar and using blood sugar and being healthy with the blood sugar. Whereas when you're overweight, uh, you know, you have a propensity to store fat, get more inflamed and not be able to deal with sugar as well. So it stands to reason that when you have things that are sweet like sugar, your body deals with them in a similar way. Right. So, and it literally for some people, when you have artificial sweeteners can trigger you to eat more, just like sugar can override satiety. So some people, when they have sucralose or stevia or whatever, it just invites them to keep eating and, and keep consuming calories. So that's something to be mindful of well, as well. Do I think it's potentially a healthier choice in general to have these natural non-caloric sweeteners? Yeah. But do I think that they're a free pass? No, not at all. Mm. <laughs> unfair, man. So unfair. Like, I've tried the sugar alcohol erythritol. Yeah. And I was so excited to learn about it. I was like, oh, wow, erythritol, let me get it. And yeah, my stomach just didn't feel 100%. Yeah. Um, with sugar alcohols. Mm -hmm. And xylitol as well. I think with xylitol, it was even more violent. Yeah. It was violent. I say violent, I was in the bathroom and I, I didn't even know if I was going to leave. I thought I needed to get a pillow and that's it. I'm, I'm here for the night, you know. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, I guess I'm not going to have this again. And I'm just thinking, man, why can't I just have something sweet and just, just, you know, yeah, as you say, a free pass. There's no free pass. That's just... You're going to have to keep sweet taste to a minimum. I even had a, a genetics test, which I don't know the, the whole validity on it, but on, on the profile, it said that there was some kind of, I don't know if it's a predisposition, but one of my genes, it said like, yeah, you may have a tendency to like sweet stuff. And I was like, yeah, I love well, that happened with me too. I have that same gene. Yeah. yeah? Mm -hmm. It's horrible. The, the, this is one of the reasons I, I don't have ice cream anymore because I love ice cream. I, I, if, I, if I taste a little bit, then I have to buy more. Crazy addiction to it. I have a problem. <laughs> That's the reason why I don't eat it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay, fair enough. Sweetness is out the window. Um, you mentioned in your book about grind, grind and flow which I found really interesting. Could you explain a bit more about grind and flow? Because um, you was mentioning about um, 
people use using the term about grinding. There's something grind. There's another term, grind, hustle. Oh, yeah, hustle and grind. Hustle, hustle and grind. Yeah. Hustle and grind. And that is the typical mentality of a lot of people. I even feel that way at times, you know, wake up. Yeah, it's hustle and grind and hustle and grind. I do have, you know, other aspects to kind of balance it out. But um, you mentioned about hustle and flow. Would you be able to just go into that, please? Yeah. So the idea that we're often fed up, like with with the Gary V's of the world, is you need to sacrifice. You need to be heads down. You need to be miserable for some period of time to outwork everyone else. And when your head's down, you can do that. You'll get there ahead of everyone else if you just grind. And if you think of grind as like heat and pieces breaking off and smoke, does that sound like something like you caring for your body? We're meant to give people the overflow from our cup, not what's in our cup. We're meant to take care of ourselves. Mm. And this grind idea is us destroying ourselves. And so, yes, like there's hustle. That's the sympathetic nervous system. Sometimes we need to go after it and go get it. But grind means ultra sympathetic nervous system, like just relentless cruelty to your body to like sacrifice, suck it up, just, you know, push through it. And that's not healthy long run. That's not ideal. The whole idea of hustling should be to get to the flow state. The flow state is where you're in your zone, where you're in your ideal, when you're doing the things you love, when you're passionate about something and you enjoy it. That's the flow state. And that should be the reason we hustle sometimes to get to periods of flow. We shouldn't be hustling so that we can grind so that we can be miserable mm. because at the end of the day, when your head's down, you're not going to see all the amazing things that are happening around you all the time on your behalf. When the universe is always working for you, when your head's up, when you're in your flow state, that's when you can see that great things are happening for you all the time. We're in the right place, right time, all the time. You were just two heads down to notice it. There was that person that could have changed your life right there next to you, but you were two heads down to notice it. You were too distracted on your cell phone. You were grinding, whatever it is. You weren't engaged and aware. You weren't present in the moment of all the amazing things that you could have connected to and could have made your life so much better. Would you say that a person is disconnected from their, their higher self? I don't know if you believe in that at all, higher self and spirit and souls and that sort of thing. Um, but like when they're, you know, hustle and grinding and just maybe a bit egocentric, possibly, that they've started to, they're too goal orientated and they're not they're not spiritually connected anymore would you say there's an element of that at all yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about and that's i think that's what you're picking up on is that you know there's the state of being and there's the state of doing the masculine is a state of doing like what do you do i'm a you know biochemist i'm a bodybuilder i'm a this i'm a that like we it's like your your identity is what you do but a state of being is is being in your zone being in your passion being in your purpose and that's the feminine energy and to your point 
uh, we're so often stuck in hustle and grind in this masculine energy. And we're so rarely in our, in our feminine energy, in our being. And yes, that is higher self. That is connecting to your purpose. That is living in your truth. That is your body saying, thank you for bringing us to what we know to be true, to what our, our highest self actually is. Mm -hmm. And being in that state versus just, you know, again, doing, sometimes you have to do so that you can go be, but it shouldn't be doing and then more doing for the sake of doing. Yeah. 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 Makes total sense. Take notes, people take notes. <laughs> do you, do you drink wine? I do. Like as the, as the book talks about, that's a hormetic stress as well. There's tons of studies that show one to two drinks can be healthy. Uh, one thing to watch out for is calories and sugar and some of those things as well. And then clearly the amount of alcohol I'm talking about, you know, one glass of wine, a four ounce glass of wine. When I say glass of wine, that's a dry red wine, uh, you know, that's, that's consumed over, you know, an hour or two. You know, like that's like you're enjoying with the meal and, you know, that kind of thing is cool. It can be a positive hormetic stress. It can actually vasodilate the arteries. It can uh, have a positive impact on coronary heart disease. But it's like when you start tipping the, the balance, like when you start having too much alcohol and certainly too much calories and it goes from a hormetic stress to a distress. Again, it goes from eustress to distress and then it starts being very counterproductive to health. So, you know, absolutely. It's one of those things that if you struggle with alcohol, don't drink it, you know, but if you like to have a glass of dry red wine with a meal, I think that's okay. You know, I, I stopped drinking altogether, probably because I didn't really drink too often. But then when I did drink and I went out with mates, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Finishing bottles of Bacardi and um, Captain Morgan rum you know, and yeah, just getting trashed, you know, and uh, waking up with a headache. Um, so I thought, Do you know what, that's it, I quit. And then I just stopped altogether. And the only, only reason why I would even think about trying any alcohol would be for the wine, simply for the potential health benefits. But I'm just trying to weigh up whether it is really worth it or whether you can easily do it out and get the same benefits from something else. One thing I would look at is uh, like Dry Farms wine. Uh, there's also another company called Fitvine, I think. But Dry Farms is um, a, a company that has lower sugar, lower alcohol, no glyphosate, um, mostly organic wines. <clears throat> and they're higher in resveratrol because they come from more difficult climates, meaning the dry farms. There's um, <clears throat> Ooh, what's up? There's, this, there, there's this idea of a xenohormesis. And that means that uh, plants that are more stressed actually increase the antioxidants in them, these polyphenols in them so that the plants that are exposed to more heat, drier climates, et cetera, are going to have a greater degree of stress adaptation, which means they have greater health benefits for us. So 
that idea of hormesis is true for plants, like as it is for us. So mm. it's cool that these dry farms wines are really a lot healthier. And so that would be something to look at. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get mixed reviews on that, where some people say, you know, you can get resveratrol from other stuff. You don't need to have wine. It's not, it's not worth the compromise. Um, yeah, some people say it's not worth it at all. And I'm like, oh, okay. It depends on the person. And by the way, resveratrol has much higher bioavailability with the other compounds that are present in the wine and with the alcohol in particular. So um, it's not the same. Um, and I would say again, <clears throat> it matters how you are, how you are drinking it. Are you sipping it? Are you enjoying it? Are you having it with healthy food? Are you having it with healthy conversation and people around you? You know, that's going to change versus like when you're at a bar and you're just pounding stuff. Right. You know, alcohol isn't necessarily alcohol, but that would be something I'd look at because the dry farms is lower in alcohol, lower in sugar and has a lot of health benefits. But again, you know, it's the kind of thing where I might have one glass with a meal. One glass with a meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might look into that. Break my uh, alcohol fast for that. I might look into that uh, simply. And I think maybe drinking time would probably be uh, somewhere in the in the afternoon, not too close to the evening. I heard that alcohol can affect your REM sleep. Is that right? Yes, yes. But again, that's usually heavier drinking. But yeah, uh, and that's higher amounts of alcohol in the drink, and that's you drinking it fast. When you're sipping it over a two two hour meal, and you know you're having something like Dry Farms that's lower in alcohol. Um, I think it's going to be a different equation, but you can, and this is all bio individuals. So, you know, if you yeah. have an aura ring or a bio strap, you're able to see that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts on commercial supplements like whey protein and stuff? Commercial supplements? What do you mean by that? I mean, um, okay, so you've got like, you got companies that do supplements, but they are very like tailored towards like the biohacking community. And then you've got commercial ones like I don't really want to mention brands, but F it, I'll just say it. Things like uh, Optimum Nutrition, um, BSN Nutrition. I'm sure you know these brands. Mm -hmm. BSN. Yeah, um, what else? Biotech USA, if you know that one. Are you saying sports nutrition brands versus longevity brands? Yeah, that's right. So, like, I found that with many of the commercial ones, there's supplement, there's ingredients in there that I don't recognize. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on those, whether it's a re not that much of a bigger deal that the, the benefits of it outweighs all the, you know, potential harm? Or would you say these commercial brands to keep away from them? Um, I would say that, um, I, th I think some of the sports nutrition brands, you're going to uh, find that, um, you're going to find that 
they have, you know, sucralose, that they have maybe some artificial ingredients that maybe their, uh, their whey protein isn't, you know, from grass fed whey, um, you know, something like that. So it's just something to be mindful of um, when it comes to, um, you know, quality and, and money going in. It tends to be that the longevity brands are uh, going to be, uh, you know, higher quality, more money going into them. But there's there's plenty of sports nutrition brands that are natural, that are clean. Uh, maybe they have like a sub line that's, you know, natural and clean. Like I believe uh, Dimatize and, uh, and, and uh, Optimum have that. So it's just hard to say. Yeah. Right. Oh, Dimatize. That was one. Yeah. I know you'd worked with Dimatize for a bit, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I'd known of the brand for a while. I wasn't too sure on the quality of the supplements and you, you had, did, had you patented some of the ingredients at all, or was you just, uh, I don't know, put piecing it together in the lab? How, what was your, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was at Dimatize, I was, I was in the lab. We worked on hundreds of supplements for Dimatize and as well as, as a contract manufacturer, their flavoring products, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I patented tea cream and dynamine and a bunch of ingredients after I left Dimatize. Um, so yeah, that's, that's uh, my, my role as the world's greatest formulator and also as an ingredientologist and uh, someone that's patented about 15 ingredients and formulated over 500 supplements. So that's what I do, man. That's amazing, man. And last question, I just want to ask, what would you say is the fundamentals for a person starting their fitness journey and have no idea where to start? Let's say, I don't know, they've just not really lived a very good, healthy life. And they're like, do you know, what? I've had enough. They've been maybe in your situation where they might have suffered a little bit of depression. Maybe they're overweight. They can't find a partner, you know, just feel like a bit of a a failure in life and they look in the mirror and they're unhappy what would you say would be a good starting point to get themselves on the straight and narrow yeah i think the most important thing is one eating that whole food maybe doing a little bit of intermittent fasting but then two moving your body uh and just doing like starting with the walks if you're very sedentary just start with some walks start moving your body especially up to the meals like we talked about mm -hmm. and then doing stuff around the house like again like the the exercise snacks has been shown to be more profound for your health and longevity than even going to the gym for an hour i'm not saying to avoid going to the gym for an hour i think that's great but it's important that you move your body throughout the day so doing burpees, push-ups, planks, you know, sit-ups, uh, doing some crawling up and down the stairs, like rolling around in the yard, like, you know, doing yoga, like, you know, finding ways to move your body throughout the day is going to be a great place to start. And you'll find that you feel more flexible. You find that you're more in tune to your body and how to move it through space and how to access that strength. And then, yeah, you can absolutely go to the gym. But I mean, to me, that's where I'd start is one by just doing some walking. And then two, after that, just getting some movement in throughout the day. Tremendous. That's amazing. Amazing. Sean. Wow. You're an incredible guy. And I've got to say, thank you so much with uh, signing my book. I didn't even 
but I just flipped straight through it as I was, I was, you know, read it all the way. And then it was only recently when I opened it back up to just kind of refresh myself. And I was like, oh my God, like he's, he signed it. I didn't even see that at the beginning. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You got it. You got it. Love you, brother. Oh, much love. Love you too, man. So um, let us, uh, tell me where people can find you. Yeah, so seanwells.com, S-H-A-W-N-W-E-L-L-S. You can find out more about me. I have tons of scientific guides there. Uh, I have a newsletter that you can sign up for. I send out scientific information every week that you can use. Um, and then energyformula.com is where you can find out about the hardcover, the ebook, the audible that I recorded, and then all the free stuff that you get with it, the video Q and A's, the hidden chapter on natural movement, the fasting for energy guide, the, um, um, I mean, there's the recipe book. There, there's, there's tons of stuff that comes with it. That's all free. Um, and then, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sean Wells, S H A W N. And then I'm on clubhouse at biohacking. So yeah, find me on those places. And if you have a question, DM me on Instagram, I will answer like based on this podcast or anything else you listen to. So yeah, appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me on and, and, uh, love you, man. Love everything you're doing. Love you too, bro. I uh, I need to send you a copy of my book. My book is yes. not going to be super scientific like yours, but um, for people who are stepping in the field of health and fitness, it's uh, yeah, it's I think people can learn a lot from it. I need to I need to send one to you. I would love that. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Will do, brother. All right, All brother. We will See talk soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.